I'm so glad I came today. My team said I didn't have to preach, but I just felt in God that I wanted to be here. And um, I think this worship was for me too, just the faithfulness and the mercy of God as I look over our lives, Deborah and my lives, and what God has brought us through has been absolutely incredible. Um, one day I tell my testimony, but there's um, four times in our lives that the enemy tried to take us out, literally take us out. And um, we're both here because of miracles. Uh, Deborah's had two transplants from a... Uh, a um, Parasite she picked up in um, Asia and destroyed her liver, and um, the doctor said she would never live. I was in an incredibly bad accident, should never have come out of ICU, should never have come be alive today, and uh, three or four days later, I walked out of the hospital on crutches, but I walked out of there, and God saved our lives, and, and he does this for a purpose. He does this... He protects us, he leads us and guides us for a purpose because he wants us to display and witness, be a witness to his love, mercy and grace and faithfulness. And um, so I just want to share a few things um, on, uh, two weeks ago, if you look back, um, sorry if I'm a bit slow and uh, and so on, but two weeks ago when we, um, uh, when I started this looking at 2 Chronicles chapter 7, uh, and we're going to look at that again, and you'll pick up on that. And we're going to camp there for a while. But just getting back to Ken Grenfell, and um, what an amazing time. How many of you were here for those meetings, especially the Sunday morning? Many of you were here. If you weren't, I encourage you to, to go and listen to that preach. He tells his story, and once again, it's just full of the love, mercy, and grace of God. I know, I've known Ken for many, many years, and uh, we've ministered together around the world, and it's just a privilege to be walking friend, with friends like us, foolish people who, by the grace of God, have been given um, uh, access to many, many nations of the world. I'm still surprised about it, but that's what Paul said of, of himself in, in Corinthians. He said, when I came, I did not come with wise and persuasive words. And, uh, but a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith would not rest on men's wisdom but on God's power. Just before that, he says he, can, he chooses, chooses the foolish to confound the wise. And he does that so that he can get the glory. So um, we're in good company, or I'm in good company, that's for sure. Um, not with you, but with my, the team I work with, for sure. And... Um, and he spoke about encounters and how they radically transform your life. And I've been thinking of these encounters uh, in, my, in Deb's and my life and how they changed the course of our family history forever. Sitting in the front chairs, my daughter-in-law and son, when my son, he was the oldest and he was 16 when we arrived. And now I won't tell you how old he is, but he's getting near 40. Let's say that way, sooner than he thinks. And... Um, they were just young kids, my, and um, it happened through an encounter with the Lord. I, I'd been saved a few years, and the, the group we work with, the, the team we work with called New Covenant Ministries International, plants churches around the world, and I was saved into a New Covenant church uh, in the, in the mid-80s, uh, and, um, and absolutely got radically saved, 
also through another major encounter, and, um, and uh, started serving in the church. And one thing Deborah and I did for him, Deborah was saved before me, and one of the things that held me up from getting saved, for two years she got saved before me, and I wasn't very, um, uh, I didn't have a very good view of Christians and Christianity, uh, I must just say that before I got saved, and um, those two years were very difficult for Deborah, for sure, but she kept the faith, and what actually started transforming my life was not what she was saying, but who she was. You see, you cannot, you can argue doctrine, you can argue all kinds of things, who, where God came from, what came first, the chicken or the egg, and, and or who made God, and all of these silly things that are out there. But you cannot argue with the power of a transformed life. You cannot argue. And I would be um, all stressed out in that. And Deborah just, without even knowing it, walked in tremendous peace and faith and gave her all. So when I got saved, we got into that church from day one and started serving uh, God uh, together. And it, it was amazing. And then in 1992, at this time, God has always blessed me uh, in, in business, when I, I, um, I, I don't want to compare myself to Joseph, but in a sense I feel that because I never felt qualified for what God blessed me with. And, and um, my, my last job before coming here to Canada for a number of years, I was uh, climbing the corporate ladder in a, in a bank in South Africa, and, and God gave me access to people. I was on the investment side, and everything in those days were, seemed to turn to gold. In fact, I was so out of the box of the bank's profile of who they wanted to employ that they uh, hired two uh, industrial psychologists to interview me because they wanted to find out what it was that they were missing in some of the other guys. And they came and sat with me, and I think they thought at the end of the thing, I never saw the report, but I'm sure it just said, crazy. Because all I said to them, I don't know. God just blesses me. God blesses me. God blesses me. God gives me favor. And I give back to God. And, and that's how it works. And, um, and uh, one of the things in this job was a five-day job, very stressful, and started traveling with them. Well, one of the things we, in our little church that we, I got saved in, in the place called the Nanda Valley in South Africa, at the time there was pretty much a civil war in that valley between uh, different tribes um, supporting a, a group called Inkata and another one, ANC, the ANC. It was nobody went down there. And a group of ladies in our church uh, came to, to the leaders, and I was a young leader at that stage, and said, listen, we want to go down there. There's a school that we've heard about and we want to feed those children. There's no food down there. And there were one or two nurses. And we want to um, do some basic um, uh, medical stuff with them. And um, so I heard this. And we were horrified. We said, you can't go down there. I mean, these guys, they came 40. It was crazy down there. And, um, but I felt in my heart after that, I thought if these ladies can go down there, I want to go with them. I thought I could protect them. I don't know what I was going to do. Um, I'm the slowest runner of them, so they could have run away and I would have been caught, I suppose. I don't know. But I've went there and I went to this, 
corporate bank to the directors of the division I was in, and I said, I want to take every Thursday off. They said, are you kidding me? How can you do that? This, you, nobody does that. And they would give us targets, and every year the target would get higher and higher and higher of investments we had to bring in and all of this. And I said to them, you said my target, you've said it, and if in three months I'm not reaching that target, I'll work, work five days. Only God could have said, the guy said, well, what the heck? Okay, do that. Can you imagine that? A senior bank guy <laughs> telling you can have a th- every Thursday off. He said, but don't tell anybody. But anyway, they found out anyway. I tell you, I would go down there. My sales just went, the favor. When I left to come plant this church, they had a, uh, and I'm, I'm not trying to be a hero here. They had a farewell for me and the, the, these directors of this bank, one of them started crying when I left because I had such favor with these clients, such incredible favor with their clients. And I started hearing about their family issues. And then I started sharing them about Jesus and, and uh, where I could if they were asking and that kind of stuff. And many of them they knew would, may not uh, invest with th- that bank if I left. But during, that, uh, but during that time, I went to Singapore. We were planning a church as a group, New Covenant. We have churches in um, 60, 70 countries around the world. And this church was birthed out of New Covenant ministries. And I was in Singapore, and we were planning a church there. And what they would want is people to come along to these church plants and walk the streets and pray of the city and, and invite people to this church plant. It was a two-week thing, and it was just a beautiful thing to be there. But while I was there, at the height of what I was doing in my business and so on, I had an encounter with God when Ken was talking about it. I was thinking about this. And I told my wife that I would never, ever leave South Africa. I love that nation. I still love it with all my heart. I love Canada. I'm so grateful for it. But I love that nation. And I was never, ever going to lead. I've done military service in there and all kinds of things. And um, and that's the one thing. And because NCMI was a church planting machine, they were always asking us young leaders, so when you, when you going to plant, when you going to plant? And I told Deborah two things. I'd never leave South Africa, and I'd never ever plant a church because I love my job and I love the church. I had the best of both words. I actually said that a few times, and in fact, I told the telling some of my friends that would ask me, Mike, would you ever plant a church? I said, no ways. You know, I'll serve, but I'm not going to do that. And so I was in Singapore, have this counter with God, and I feel God tell me, you're going to plant a church. Not only will you plant a church, it won't be in South Africa. And I came back from that, and I think Deborah thought she had seen a ghost or something, because I came in and said, you know what? After saying no, 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 Deborah had told me prophetically a few years ago, we're going to plant a church, and it's going to be on an island five years later, earlier. I said, no ways. No ways. Then I thought maybe Hawaii, I could do that. Or... <laughs> so then islands, I started checking out islands. I didn't know it would be an island in the frozen north, but anyway, <laughs> we love this place. And I came back, 
And my whole heart had shifted from business to church planning. And that was a five-year process while I did both in training and getting ready to come and do what we did did here. And as on that process, I'd meet with wise leaders and I'd tell them, listen, and they'd say, Mike, you should plant in South Africa first because you've never planted a church, you've never led a church. I was studying and and obviously that over those five years. And then then they would say, um, yeah, first maybe go and help a church plant and all of these kinds of things. I just felt it wasn't going to be in South Africa. And fortunately, I had one or two guys said, Mike, if that's what God said, that's what you do. And we, uh, in my job, was, we're starting to travel a lot because South Africa was opening up. Mandela was in. It was a beautiful time to be in South Africa. And uh, everywhere we went, and Deborah would come with me many of the times, we would ask God if this is a place. Flew into Canada, had been in the United States, had family in Canada. On the way back, we popped in. We flew out of Canada, and on the plane, we said, it's Canada. And that started this process of us applying to become Canadians. And we arrived here in 1997. My kids, my wife, not knowing one Christian in this nation, not even in the city, in the nation. Long story how we got to Nanaimo, a beautiful story. We arrived in Nanaimo. We planted here in our home, in our basement, with my eldest son, my youngest son, and my daughter, and Deborah. And the first few meetings, I used to sit them on the sofa in the lounge at a music stand, I think, and put it in front and preach to them. Can you imagine? These poor kids. It's bad enough now, but anyway, I was really bad then. And um, the hardest thing is to try and get an offering from them, for sure. (laughs) I think I had to bribe and pay them to sit there. But out of that, in this long journey, God has done this. And I just am overwhelmed at His grace. We don't deserve this. But we look up and God has opened nations. And I, we, I can't tell you the places. I, we never ever ask to be invited anyone or promote ourselves, but the doors keep opening. The doors keep opening. The doors keep opening. And we cannot even um, go to all of the places that God has, is opening up for us. And I believe that's because God is raising up an army in here. And together we can do that. Together we can impact the nations. And so I just want to encourage you in that, in this, in this thing of faithfulness. Be, be open to, be thankful, first of all, for what God is doing in your life. In the midst of trials, we went through some incredible trials. I don't want to tell any war stories, even in planning this church. Two or three times or four times, I thought this church would never, ever survive. And yet God brought us through again and again. And we must not take this for granted. I must not. We must not. And I'm saying all this to say this. this God has dreams in your heart. And if you're faithful, and it takes study, and it takes work and all of that, God will bring them to pass. And we want to partner with you in that. 
encounters with God. Ken spoke about much about the presence of God. And a friend, a mentor of mine, of Deborah's, Dudley Daniels, this man oversaw the entire New Covenant Ministries ministry all over the world. And we planted here in Canada on our own, and for some reason, I can only be God, God knitted his heart and his wife's heart to Deborah and I. And one day, he told me, he had not been here, I feel God wants me to come alongside you and help you with that church plant. Can you believe it? The first time he came, I, I really knew him, and he's a big guy. I was so nervous, so nervous of even having this man in his house. But for four years, for two weeks, every six months, he came and he sat with us. And when we had five people who would sit with him, this man is ministry all over. Tyron Daniel, his son, now leads the team. And I'm so committed to that family because of their grace towards Deborah and I and my family. And he would come uh, again and again and again. And on the fourth year, every six months for two weeks in this busy schedule. And in the fourth year, I was driving him back to the airport. And I said to him, Dudley and Anne were in the car and, and Deborah. And I said to, uh, and I, and I said to him, Dudley, um, will you, are you coming back? When will you be back again? And he said to me, and this is where I knew that this man had a true apostolic heart. It wasn't looking at the outside, it was looking at what God's doing. And he said this, this church will stand. I don't need to come back. And he never, ever did. I visited him a number of times. He's retired. And he never did. Two things went through my brain. I said, oh, geez, for the last four years, he thought it would fail. (laughs) Which is quite true. Which is quite, he literally co-led this church. He knew that I needed help. And he said this to me, Mike, any major decision you need to make, after I'd made some really stupid ones, and his way of encouraging me, phone me before you ask them. And I would do that. And um, that's the reason this church is here today. We were the first church plant in Canada, and now with NCMI, there's about 15 or 16 New Covenant churches around Canada alone and growing, all to the grace and the glory of God. But this is what Dudley wrote many years ago, and I'd love this up there if we can get it there, with regards to the presence of God. He says, what is possibly most needed is the presence of God in the midst of his people. Without the presence of God, we have no power, no authority, no transformation, and no glory to display to the nations. Without the spirit that gives life, we have only the letter of the Lord to preach. Without the spirit, there's death. But when he comes, there's life. And with, and with the life, there is potential for growth and fruitfulness. General, genuine ministry takes place when there is an operation of the Holy Spirit whereby he transforms us into the image of Christ 
through the word of God. If this transformation does not happen, then no ministry has taken place. God has called us to be a people of the presence. God has placed every single one of us, every single born again believer in Canada for such a time as this, when the nations are in an uproar. He has placed us here to carriers of the presence to go from these places and share the light and the love of God, not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Wherever Jesus went, he performed miracles. He healed the sick. He had words of knowledge. He had compassion. He loved people. And he said, these things that I've done, even greater shall you do in my name, because I'm going to the Father. And God is calling and the, us to rise up. And I want to tell you this. I haven't got to one thing in my preach except for that quote. But I want to tell you this. The greatest threat to the kingdom of darkness is not 300 people, 400, 500, who, how many call Oceanside the, the church, coming on a Sunday and listening to a service. The greatest threat to the kingdom of God, darkness is, is the mobilization of the priesthood of all believers. We are all equal before God. We are all co-heirs with Christ, heirs of, heirs of God. We are all seated in Christ, according to Ephesians. We don't, when we pray, we pray with authority. Actually, we shouldn't be praying up. We should, unless we're worshiping God, we should be praying down because we are seated in Christ. And we have power and authority. And he said in his word, Jesus, that this is incomparably great power that is for us who believe. In Ephesians, Paul writes that. And he says that power is like the working of his mighty strength that he exerted when Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the Father as Lord and head of the church. And we are his body. And when he said greater things we will do, it's because there's more of us that can do them. And this nation and the nations as I go to, I don't care what nation it is. I was in Haiti at uh, the beginning of this year. God is moving powerfully there. We had... Um, 22 churches represented there, um, wanting to relate to us in NCMI and so on. It was amazing. I got out there a week later, and chaos broke through, broke out. But you see, chaos is happening every nation. In other nations, it's not as obvious as it is in places like Haiti and the Congo and Zimbabwe and Mozambique. It's way easier. You can see it. But it's happening. The enemy is at work. And we are the light of the world. And when light comes, darkness must flee. We have authority, church. We have authority in our marketplace. And do you know how it starts? It starts by example. I don't want to say this uh, uh, because I don't even, I was shocked when it said to me, uh, these businessmen said, Mike, there's something different about you. And I'm not perfect in any way. Come live with my family. I'll get my son up here one day and can tell you some stories for sure in any way. And I was shocked, but what it was, it was the Holy Spirit. We all carry that. And how we become this priesthood, Jesus says in Matthew 24, it's through a cup of water. 
It's through a visit in a prison. It's through praying for the sick. It's through loving the unloved. It's through being available for, for, our, uh, for the people in our mission field. And what is your mission field? Starbucks, city council, banks, shops, plumbing businesses, building businesses. God has placed you there, not simply that you can, so you can get rich and have a good life. He has placed us where we are so that we can be salt and light, so lives can be transformed right where we are. That is our mission field. God may send us to India. This is how my, this is, God showed me clearly about this church in the early days. And as I got busier and busier with ministry elsewhere, he said, Mike, you have got to tend this vineyard. And I will never leave this church. I sit with our elders and our team, and you see how well it is if this church is in crisis. Because this church is where God has planted us, and it's out of here. And if this church is not producing fruit, what do we have to give? So I'm constantly in myself, God, wanting to gauge the spiritual atmosphere of where Oceanside is. I don't just go here because I've got nothing better to do. I'm telling you, traveling uh, all the time can be overwhelming. I'm not saying this for anything. The last time I was in Australia for seven weeks, and I did 29 meetings in that time by the grace of God. I see it as a privilege But this is what God has called each one of us, equal in standing before Christ. I have no more authority than you, no more anointing than you can ever have than anybody else. God is not looking for ability. He is looking for us to be available, to take out. And if three or four hundred of us really catch hold of this, a nation can be transformed. A city, an island can be transformed. By the power of the Spirit of God. I'm taking so long, my, my um, iPad goes off. You see, we started looking at 2 Chronicles 7, 12 to 15, and I wanted to go into the history and the context. It's an amazing story, but I'm going to miss all of that today. And I'm going to go to... Chronicles 7, verse 12 to 15. We started looking at this, and we're going to camp here. Because the Lord lays out his plan for Solomon, for healing of a nation, and for national revival. Our nation needs healing. God doesn't say us to criticize the government. To think whatever we want to, God says, pray for it. Pray for them. When Paul was writing to the church in Rome, he told those, those Christians to pray for those in authority that may go well with you. Who was that person in authority? Nero. He said, pray for him. And so we need to pray for our leaders and let God be God in their lives. But this is what he does. He reveals his eternal plan for the healing of a nation and for revival. And it starts in verse 12. The Lord appeared to him at night. This is Solomon. 
said, I have heard your prayer and I've chosen this place for, my, for myself as a temple for sacrifices. When I shut up the heaven so that there is no rain and command locusts to devour the land and send a plague amongst my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, will pray, will seek my face, spend time with me in my presence and turn from their wicked ways. He's talking to his people. He's talking to the church, dealing with secret sin, dealing with things in our hearts and lives, repenting. It's a process. Then he says this, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. And my eyes will be open, my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. You see, as I said two weeks ago, and just to recap here a little bit, only a spiritual revival starting in the hearts of the people of God can bring healing to a nation. The wonderful thing about the grace of God, when you look at national revivals and, church, and, and nations being turned around, it was normally a handful of people. And that handful of people begin to impact the people around them. And that began to impact the people and this revival began to grow. They began to hunger and thirst after righteousness in the name. They began to start with us, Lord. See if there's any offensive stuff in us. God, deal with the things in our hearts that, that aren't pleasing to you. You see, those things, we can see them as a negative but they actually are positive. Because if we simply do those things, God will bring healing and restoration. The Welsh revival, you can think, any revival <laughs> started with a number of people. And I believe that God wants to bring a, a revival and it's been prophet over again over this nation of Canada. And I believe it's going to rise up. It's not going to be one church or anything like that. But there's a hunger and search for the presence of God and righteousness that I'm feeling and hearing all over the nation with the pastors that I'm speaking to from the East Coast right through. There's something more that God wants to do and we know it and we can feel it. And we need to partner with God because God does nothing with, Jesus does nothing except in and through his church. And when we get this in little Nanaimo on the, in a gym on, the, uh, on, in a, on a street called Jingle Pot, people would laugh about that when I tell them where I'm from. My church is on Jingle Pot Road. And, but there's something beautiful about that because God can get the glory. If he can do it with us, he can do it with anybody else. And that's why, and I'm not saying, uh, I don't, uh, that's why Sunday evenings and the prayer that we're wanting to do is actually just to worship God and to pray for our nation, to pray for the healing, to pray for our government, to pray for the churches in the city, that God will begin to stir up something in our hearts, that we will no longer be satisfied with the same old, same old, same old. God wants to take us deeper and deeper and deeper into the presence of God. Ezekiel says the river of God, so that we are in over our heads, 
so that we're over our heads in the glory of God. And he's done it, and he will do it again. And it was prophesied of this nation from the birth of this nation. If you go to the Peace Tower, and I've had the privilege of being there, you'll see scriptures all over it. Scriptures from the Father and Fathers. And one of them is in the Psalms. It says, he shall have dominion from sea to sea. Canada used to be known as the dominion of Canada, of, as the dominion of Canada, the dominion that was of God, the dominion of God. That was prophesied. It's happened. It's going to happen again, church. If we will do this, it will happen because God says, I will if you. God's not a lie. I will if you. It will happen in this nation, in our beautiful anthem. I love this nation. I'm not one by birth, but I am certainly one by choice now. I love this nation. I'm proud of this nation. And so on. And when I answer, God, keep our land. G-O-D. Glorious and free. Oh, Canada, may we, as the body of Christ, start to stand on God for thee. G-U-A-R-D. May we start to intercede. May we pray for our government. Nobody wins if the government fails. I don't care which government it is. You say, ah, yeah, I told you that would happen. Well, it sucks to be us because it's going to affect all of us. God, keep our land. God, heal our land. God, pour out your spirit. We can have banners and we can stand against everything we want to with banners and protests, but people want, don't know what we stand against. They want to know what we stand for. Why? Because there's a better way. Because there's a God can transform a nation. And I'm praying that some of us that have uh, here are here, that we'll be able to take some of that back to where we come from and see God move in power in the nations of the world. There's only one flag, I've said this over and over, that has a leaf on it. And that's the Canadian flag. And in Revelations, it says that the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. It's gotta be something in that. Somebody did that flag. You see, why a, a maple leaf? It's beautiful. But why I leave? I don't know. I don't know what was on that person's heart. Who wrote the anthem and put the God keep our land? These were spiritual. We are building on the shoulders of spiritual giants in this nation that have paid the price over and over and over. We just need to get on their shoulders now. The, 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 the heroes of our faith in heaven spurring us on say go guys go guys and that's where my heart is now I don't want to play church and I'm not saying we are but I do know there's more I do know there's more for us and for the nation I was talking to Deborah a bit about this because we're going to unpack those things and the first one we'll unpack is humility over a while. And she sent me the scripture this morning. Micah 6 verse 8. We'll stop with, then we'll, we'll, we'll break bread. 
He has shown you, O mortal, some translations will say, O man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before our God. That's it. That is it. And so today, we're going to break bread. And I want to remind us of the humility of God. God humbled himself. Jesus. God humbled himself. He was in heaven, ruler of the universe. Go and chat, um, listen to Mark Manfredi's uh, series on Colossians. It will blow your mind. Such an incredible teacher of the bigness and the greatness of this Lord we say. Where John in, in Revelations chapter 1, he sees the risen Christ for the first time in all his glory and he falls on his face as though dead. Jesus smiles and picks him up and restores him. This God humbled himself, Philippians says. He took on the nature of a man. Can you imagine? God confining himself to the body of a man for 33 years. God incarnate, fully God and fully man, walked the earth as a man, as an example and a prototype of what we can go and do in his name as humans. If it had come as God himself, we could say, well, of course he could do it, he's God. No, he relied on the Holy Spirit and the anointing of the power as much, as much as anybody else. You see that in Luke 4, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. When did the Spirit come upon him? When he came out of the water of baptisms and the dove came upon him and the voice said, this is my son whom I It was upon me for he has anointed me to preach the good news, to proclaim freedom to the captives, to set people free, to bind the broken hearts. He purposely went to, in the scroll and he purposely found that scripture and he read it and he said, today that has been fulfilled in your midst. And that's when trouble started for him with religious people. He humbled himself. Made himself nothing, it says. He took on the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and, and being found in the appearance of a man. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. And because he did that, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We see in this, in Jesus, that humility is a choice. He chose to humble himself. We also see that humility comes before glory. Matthew 23, 11 to 12. The greatest among you 
will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves, he's speaking to the Pharisees, the religious people. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. He taught us that God's kingdom, in God's kingdom, the cross comes before the crown. He told us that we need to take up our cross and follow him, whatever that is. His was to die for us. It's not our cross. But one day, we'll be crowned in glory. You see, it's very hard to imagine, and we're going to remember that, that the creator of the universe humbled himself, became a man, and allowed that same man to put him to death on the cross. And if he hadn't done that, we wouldn't be here today. And we'll be ever worshiping and serving this mighty God. So if the worship team can please come forward. I want to tell you something in my heart. And I know this that I know. There's two things that happen in a meeting like this. One is of the enemy and one is of God. Two voices. The enemy's voice is that loud trash uh, talking voice like the big basketball player trash talking the guy on it. That's the enemy. You're not worthy. You've done this. You're not doing that. It's useless. And you can sit there, oh, God, I'm useless. There's no hope for you. And I tell you, believe it or not, I feel that myself often. Especially on a Monday morning, you ask preachers, man, I listen to great preachers on on the internet, I never want to open my mouth again. I want to, they encourage me, but orators know the Word of God like I could only wish to know. And I can say, you shouldn't be doing this. I've preached in cities like Chicago, just out of Washington, D.C., these kind of places. I'm thinking, what the heck am I doing here? What the heck? And so, That's what the enemy will do. Trash talk you. You'll be on your way to work tomorrow and you say, I want to serve God well. Somebody's going to get in your face and you're going to blow it. You've got two choices. You repent of that. Say, ask forgive me. You humble yourself and maybe say sorry even if you're not wrong, which will justify what they said and it gets worse. And you trust God. You trust God. I am not, no pastor, believe you me, and I deal with a lot, do not go through what every single thing that you go through. And sometimes they are we succumb. And that's where Deborah and I often come into pastors that have blown it. We want to pick them up. We want to show them the way back. We want them restored. And we want to see that in this place. Because the Word of God is saying, come to me all who are thirsty today. 
and learn and lean on me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul is talking about being a Pharisee of Pharisees just before this. And as a religious Pharisee, as a religious Pharisee, he was commissioned to go and destroy and kill Christians. And God met him on the road to Damascus where he, those, those Christians were shaking in their boots. Paul was on his way and a radical encounter. And he says this, I was this and I was this, but this, and I persecuted the church, he says, but this one thing I do, and I believe we've got to do it daily, church, is come before our Father on our knees in humility, ask for forgiveness and repent of our sin. And then he says, forgetting that which is behind. Then forget about it because God has forgotten about it because it's gone, it's gone, it's gone. And if you don't let the, of that go, you will never be a witness for Christ because outside of Christ, there's no one that has not sinned. And we forget it and, and we give it to God. And he says, this one thing I do, forgetting that which is behind, I press on. I'm going to lean into God more and more and lean into God because I want to take hold of that which Christ has taken hold of me for. It might just be my work colleagues. It might just be my friends that He wants to see in the kingdom. It might just be uh, a a school group. It might be my, my students. It doesn't matter. But Christ has taken hold of you so that you would be salt and light in the witness. And when they see you fall and they accuse you, say, yes, I agree with you. I did do that. But Jesus Christ, but Jesus Christ, but Jesus Christ. And I'm going to take hold of that which Christ has taken hold of me. And he says this, all of us who are mature should have such a view. You will blow it. I will blow it. Crazy thing. Some Sunday mornings, I wake up feeling like a saint. And by the time I get here, Stuff has happened, and I have condemnation. I said, God, how can I get up today? How can I do this? Humble myself and pray and repent. These are not bad words, these are words of life. These will change our lives every single time. And if you're struggling in an area, I promise you the best way to deal with it is find somebody you can trust who can walk through that through you, with you. If you're struggling. When people come into my office and they've confessed of pornography, of addictions, of, of you name it, the first thing I sense in my heart and often say to them, I just want to thank you for your courage and for trusting me enough that you would be able to tell me these stories instead of saying, hey, do you know what Joe told me? Stay away from him. One man in this church is now in in Eastern Canada and he's told his story himself, came in here and I sat down with him as a businessman, a wealthy guy. And after a while of coming to the church for a while, the Holy Spirit was working on his heart. I don't know if you were saved at that time. He sat in my office and he said, 
here across the road. He said, I just want to tell you this. And you might not want me to come back, but I'm addicted to everything. To pornography, drugs, alcohol. I'm obsessive, compulsive, and I'm addicted to everything. Can you help me? Man, I was overwhelmed that he would even say that. I've had people come into my office, put crack cocaine in a pipe on my office desk. So I want to get set free. I'm really nervous in case the police arrive in there. But anyway, what an amazing thing. This has to be a safe place. The only thing that I will not tell the law enforcement is if it has to do with children. Just, just a disclaimer from me. That I would tell, sorry. I would tell, not, not tell, sorry. Because they need help. God can forgive them, but also maybe those children need help. And there's consequences for sin. I want to tell you this man, I used to sit at Starbucks at country club for hours almost every week and he was just downloading, downloading God set him radically free radically free, he moved away from here because there's too many memories, he went back east he was back east and he was asking me, where am I going to find a church and I said God will show you in all of this he found this little vineyard church in this place and he walked in there and the place was not, uh, in disrepair. Uh, didn't look good, this little building they had. There was only a few people. Very wealthy guy. And he found me, he said, Mike, I went to this place and I feel God tell me I need to fix that building. He, I said, well, go and ask the pastor. I'll tell him that. I'm sure nobody say no to that. He went there. This guy was on his last he was giving up. He had had enough. He was outside, the pastor. God, I'm finished. This guy set free from all of those things comes in. Hey, sis, listen. Would you mind if I fix this building? I think this is going to be my church. What did they do in their pastor's heart? Boom. God cares. God loves me. All the things I'm saying God doesn't do. God did and he restored that building (laughs) and he restored his life by the grace of God and so if you're one of those please know that we want to help and that all of us are one disaster one decision away from disaster Amen Amen